Welcome to week four of the Just Like Barnabas series here on the Brentwood Baptist Life Group Leader Podcast. Today we're going to look at the end of Acts chapter 11 to see Barnabas as leader. You are listening to the Brentwood Baptist Church Life Group Leader Podcast, a resource to equip and encourage group leaders on their journey toward being disciples and making disciples through life groups. In my excitement for the story of the rise of the church in Antioch, I jumped ahead in the two groups I taught on Sunday and and hit verses 24 and 25 already. Um, There's nothing wrong with that. Creative redundancy repeating things is always good for people and we're mining out different aspects so last week the point was to look at Barnabas as affirming where he sees the grace and says hey this church is of God you guys are of God keep it up and then I pointed out how he was affirming of Saul how he defended Saul uh, with the Jerusalem folk Peter and the others and, and then of course how he affirmed the church at Antioch but Today, we're going to take the end of that same text of Acts 11, or at least the end of the portion we're looking at, uh, and elevate Barnabas as leader. So not only did he come and affirm the church at Antioch uh, and encourage them in that way, remember it's the same word, parakaleo, uh, where we get paraclete from, comforter, but we talked week one about that broad semantic. Semantic just means meaning, that broad range of meaning of that term could be to exhort, to encourage, to plead, um, and of course to affirm. But now we're, instead of looking at Barnabas as the affirming one, we're going to look at him as the leading one. How did he take on leadership roles within the church at Antioch, which again was such a hinge reality for the church? I mean, just imagine, and one of the two groups that I taught yesterday really ran hard with this when I was pushing Barnabas as a hinge here, Uh, but If Barnabas hadn't defended Saul, if Barnabas hadn't affirmed the church at Antioch, if Barnabas hadn't devoted time there to teach for that year, would we have seen the missionary journeys flow out like they should? I mean, God would have still got his gospel out and God would have have still expanded the truth of the gospel to the ends of the earth. But it wouldn't have looked as, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say it that way. In any ways, it wouldn't have looked like it did. Uh, Barnabas was such a hinge figure that the Lord used to bring about the missionary journeys, to bring about the elevation of Saul, which it then translated into half of our New Testament. I mean, Barnabas, just such a crucial figure in the rise and movement of the early church. And, and it's part of our legacy uh, as the church has eventually reached us here. And we're part of that lineage as well. So there's a couple places you could go here. I spent a lot of time last week recounting the story. I went back to Stephen, unpacked Stephen. I've been really big on this echoes of Christ thing, seeing Christ in all the scriptures. I pulled that from the road to Emmaus story and talked about seeing echoes of Christ in Stephen's faithfulness, his trumped up charges, his sorry excuse of a trial that they ran out these false witnesses against him and so forth. You see the same in the passion of Christ leading up to his crucifixion. So we hear the echoes of Christ in Stephen's life. 
And then, of course, I've been pushing it hard with Barnabas. We see echoes of Christ in Barnabas. And I challenged the group, why do we spend this time studying Barnabas? It's not just a general, it's not just a neat thing to do. It's not just fun. It's not just because we don't have anything else to talk about. It's that in Barnabas, we hear echoes of Christ and we see something that we can imitate to live in more obedience and to be better disciples of Christ. So I would, I'm going to continue to hammer this echoes of Christ type language. So how do we hear echoes of Christ in Barnabas as leader in his defense of Saul, in his teaching, uh, in his being full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, the same descriptor given over to Stephen uh, and others of the faith in the early church. I think if you want to read the conversion of Saul, that um, that's good. Um, I don't think you need to belabor it if you don't want to. It, but it is good, I think, to go all the way back to the end of Stephen's martyrdom and to paint Saul as the persecutor. I think sometimes we forget just how vicious and vile he was. We know that Saul had the garments laid at his feet and then Stephen's executed. And the way I like to teach it when I teach this is that we would hope that Saul seeing the innocent and unjust death capital punishment death of Stephen that Saul would repent in light of Stephen's sermon in light of uh, Stephen's faith in light of Stephen's forgiveness he forgave the people who were stoning him though he was innocent and they were guilty he forgave them anyway that this would drive Saul to re- confession and repentance of of his sins but that's not what Acts 8 uh, Acts chapter 8 verse 1 says <laughs> it says and Saul approved of his execution and there, on, there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So that would be the, the twelve. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And then, of course, the conversion of Saul onto Damascus. He was heading to Damascus in the first place with this license to take more people uh, into prison. And so I was looking at the beginning of his conversion in Acts 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, meaning Christianity, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So it's in the midst of his seeking to do more sin against the disciples of Christ in the early church, that Christ finds him on this road and and reveals himself to him, and uh, Saul converts. And, of course, we know Ananias was afraid of Saul. He um, argued with the Lord about whether he should go to Saul. I mean, you've heard what this guy's doing, Ananias says. So there was a fear surrounding Saul. And an important line happens in Acts 9.26. Because he escapes from Damascus, they are plotting to kill him there. And in Acts 9.26, Saul finally ends up in Jerusalem, and he attempts to join the disciples in Jerusalem. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So we see the hinge nature of Barnabas again here as he's justifying Paul 
in front of the apostles to give him the, I mean, the Jerusalem council's voice mattered. It made a big deal whether the Jerusalem council was for you or against you. Uh, so having Barnabas vouch for him in that way uh, was huge. And then Barnabas vouches for him again. So what does he do? He goes and gets this Saul. Uh, he finds him. He brings Saul to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Two important points brought out uh, in the New American Commentary I'm looking at here on Acts 11, 26, particularly with this, uh, they were first called Christians, says that uh, sometimes this could be glossed over. Of course, we know that the term there for Christians uh, is Christianoi, and ours is Christianos, Christianos, but it consists essentially of Christ, which means Messiah, chosen one, anointed, and then um, the uh, an ending that means belonging to or identified with a part of, but it's significant because it's only used three times in the New Testament. Acts 9.30, Galatians 1.21, and then here in 11, where they were first called Christians. Uh, so the New Testament commentary highlights that it can be significant for at least two reasons. One is that it affirms the success of the Gentile ministry. It affirms or confirms the success of the Gentile ministry because this is the way a Gentile talks about believers. Uh, Christians didn't use this term of themselves they believers, brothers, um, fellows, uh, these, these kind of terms are what Christians used of themselves, believers, followers. They don't use the term Christian. It was an outsider's term used of them. And so these Gentiles were calling other Gentiles Christians because of the success of how many were following this way of Christ. And then here I'm going to read this verbatim. Second, it reflects that Christianity was beginning to have an identity of its own and no longer was viewed as a totally Jewish entity. Again, the success among Gentiles would have hastened this process in Antioch. So again, we see the hinged nature of Barnabas as a part of this, um, as sort of a stabilizing figure. I mean, of course, God, the Holy Spirit, is the one moving this from the persecution of Stephen to the birth of the church in Antioch to the missionary journey sent out from there. But we see Barnabas appearing just in and out of these stories as this stabilizer sort of anchor in some ways of the movement. And, and in that way, it shows leadership. And so where the lesson's really going, and I imagine your campus pastor will likely bring up some aspects of humility as leadership, sort of servant leadership is what we often have called it in the church historically. And there's lots of places you can go to that. I'll remind you of the travel log last year that that we all did. You can find that online if you look at um, not current foundations curriculum at adults.journeyonleadership.com. Highlight the curriculum tab. But it's called previous foundations curriculum. You can scroll down to servant leadership and there's all sorts of good stuff down there. If you want to um, thumb through some of those, digitally thumb through some of those find stories, illustrations, or other scriptures you want to bring to it. I think the Exodus text is really good that the curriculum highlights this week. But for me, I'm going to go back to the same place I went to last week, and this will be the third week in a row that I've used this text, but I just cannot get enough of it right now. 
it's just it's just too good it's just too good and so as i'm pushing this idea of echoes of christ um i'm i'm continuing to hammer philippians 2 philippians 2 and so if we want to look at what it means to be a leader in the sense that christ was philippians 2 is a great text for us to go to so i'll read it to us again because again i just i can't get enough of it philippians 2 5 have this mind among yourselves so all of you plural have this mind among yourselves and that that's a that's an imperative there um that is command do it this way think like this maybe would be a stronger translation you all all you people at the church of philippi think like this all right um Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account quality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. There's our humility. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form and being found in human form. He humbled himself again, servant humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross so we see servant humble and obedience all tied together and of course is elevated in the crucifixion of christ as the ultimate giving of oneself to experience death as a truly divine uh, person is is a staggering reality therefore god has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Uh, so I'm going to push that text really hard and contrast that with Barnabas. So how was Barnabas a servant, a leader and obedient in being this massive hinge figure on the movement of the church from being this purely Jewish reality to now becoming its own identity uh, distinctly found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to elevate Barnabas as servant, Barnabas as humble, and Barnabas as obedient. So I guess obedience is, is an easy one because he was sent. The Jerusalem Council sends him to Antioch, and there he goes. So he's obedient to do it. Uh, when he gets there, there's no jealousy that that Luke doesn't give us any hint of jealousy or Oh, I wish I could have been a part of this or I wish I could have gotten here earlier or man, I stayed back in Jerusalem when the persecution of Stephen happened and I wish I'd have come with these guys and been a part of this thing. He just goes there and he affirms them and encourages them to remain steadfast because what you are doing is of God and it is great. And so we see that that humility uh, that he, he doesn't care that he wasn't in, in the beginning. He's just happy to be a part of it and to see Christ glorified. And then doubly humble in that he says, my goodness, I don't know what to do here. I'm speaking for him. I'm, I'm speculating here. Or I can't do this alone. Or, wow, this is going to take more than I have on hand right now. I need to go find Saul. And so he does. He goes and gets Saul, brings him back. They teach for a year. And then off they go on their missionary journeys and move the gospel forth to all peoples. So we see humility both in showing up and being gracious and excited for the people in Antioch, and then also humility in going to get Saul to come help him with the work. And then the last one is obedience to go to Antioch in the first place, sent by the Jerusalem Council. Humility in the arrival, humility in the seeking out of Saul, and then servant. He became teacher. He shepherded them. 
he and Saul just taught them for a year. For a year. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's tough to get people to commit to very small uh, commitments now as a group. I mean, what is it now? I don't think it's even two weeks out of the month anymore that it, um, makes you a regular church goer. I think is one. If you attend once a month, 12 times a year, you're considered a regular church goer. That's stunning to me. Uh, and of course, we know that the gospel moves not in the building, but through the people. I get that. But the gathering, I mean, just look back at Acts, um, Acts 2, Acts 2.42 and following, is that the early church gathered in the temple not once a month, not twice a month, not four times a month. The early church gathered in the temple daily, and then they broke bread house by house. And all we, all we can give is, is, is 12 times a year, and that's considered the new normal. It's just it's staggering to me. Um, and then how often, if we don't see results, do we, do we get really frustrated? Just think about when you started your group, some of you new group leaders, maybe where you are right now, uh, it, it can be frustrating when the numbers don't come right away. And Paul, I mean, they did have numbers right away in Antioch, of course, but Saul and Barnabas taught for a year to raise up prophets and teachers taught for a year to raise up prophets, teachers, and that's where the text ultimately goes, isn't it? Uh, if we hop over to chapter 13. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. They were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Acts 13.1. Where'd they come from? They came from that year of teaching that Barnabas and Saul were there. The Holy Spirit formed them uh, through the mediation of the gospel taught in the theology and in the Old Testament scriptures taught by Saul and Barnabas. And because of that, the Holy Spirit then says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And after praying and fasting, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So in one way, I would argue, and again, I'm speculating a little, I'm dancing on the edges here. I think the Holy Spirit was very comfortable with sending out Barnabas and Saul because Barnabas and Saul had raised up teachers there, raised up prophets there. And the Holy Spirit would continue to work through those men in the community at Antioch to continue to make that church thrive. It was so significant that uh, that church was for the area, Macedonia and so forth. So sometimes we should be looking at our groups as group leaders, not as, Hey, let's, let's get a bunch of numbers let's get as big as we can. But how many prophets and teachers are being raised up in here? And of course use those as a placeholder. I mean, we want to raise up other leaders too, not just prophets and teachers, but are we asking even that? Uh, where are the prophets and teachers being raised up? It took Saul and Barnabas a year. So maybe I've been at this group for a year, maybe less than a year, maybe multiple years. Where are the prophets and teachers that are being raised up? If I were to be sent out or maybe they're being sent out. Um, that, that That's that's a part of our leadership is being able to reproduce, to be, find those people to invest in, um, to multiply ourselves. That That is the gospel. That is making disciples. Matthew 28. I'm going to spend the bulk of the time again harping on, again, I'm going to, the buildup is going to be Saul and contrasting his former life to his life in Christ because with that contrast, we can elevate the humility of Barnabas as Barnabas goes and gets him. And all that's going to be placed in the context of Philippians 2. And so Barnabas was like Christ in that he was a servant, taught for a year, 
and then maybe bring in some Acts 13 to say what the fruit of that teaching was. He was humble in that he showed up with the grace and affirmation of what was going on in Antioch and humble to go get Saul to help him. And he was obedient to go in the first place to respond to the calling. Both we can we can jump back to his generosity from week two. He was obedient in that. And then now he's obedient again as he goes to the church at Antioch. Uh, that, that's going to be the bulk of what I say and see where it goes. See what people want to talk about. I'll challenge them. How are you? being a servant how are you being humble how are you being obedient uh so in other words how are you having the attitude of christ and if not how are we going to get it and as you're getting this attitude of christ in the spirit how are you going to help others to get the attitude of christ and then drive them into the disciplines drive them into leadership roles maybe they're just not investing in anyone i don't know we'll just see what see what comes out maybe it's a theological adjustment maybe it's a worldview adjustment i don't know Uh, you just kind of got to wait and see what happens Uh, i do want to continue to commend i have been hammering the group i still don't think they're reading every day i think they're reading something and that's good and i want to elevate that each week but this week i boxed for them i had a printout i used the circle version the front and back just so i didn't have to print so much and I boxed the bottom back and I said, here's your six texts Monday through Saturday that are going to lead into us talking about Barnabas as leader. I really want you to go after these this week. I mean, I think the longest one's nine verses, so it's not much. And so I'm really hoping they do that. No one has said to me that they've been doing it. I gauge by their, um, their lack of input when I ask at the beginning of the group before we dive into the teaching time so-called. Uh, they don't say much, so my assumption is that they're not reading. They're not engaging in it, and I'm going to continue to hammer them because that's what we want. Again, it's not going to be my 20-, 30-minute lesson. It's not going to be some set of profound statements or principles from me that fundamentally change their lives. It's going to be that daily engagement with the Bible, that daily engagement with prayer, and that daily engagement of meditation as they go about their lives to see that scripture and those prayers lived out in their faith as they incarnate the scriptures uh, where they live, work, and play and make disciples who ultimately make disciples. That's what we're after. Uh, So as leaders, we want to be leaders like Barnabas. Barnabas was able to raise up prophets and teachers, and then he was sent out to the missionary journey. What's that look like for us? Start praying that. Ask for that. Be obedient to it when it comes. And you're already serving. And you're already humble um, in your service to your people. Continue to be obedient in raising up leaders 